Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. All right, my athletes and my fitness freaks, are you getting enough electrolytes? You kind of need them. They're kind of a big deal. You lose a lot through sweat, but just don't be replacing them with any of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no fillers, no yuck. You need Element. It's not only delicious and wicked convenient, mixes in water super easily, but it also contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. You can get a free sample pack. That's eight single-serve packets for free with any Element order when you go to drinkelement.com forward slash Funk, the deal's only available through my unique link to thank you for listening to the show, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash F-U-N-K. You can try it risk-free. All right, shit is bananas right now, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Somebody recently asked me, what do you do when you're doing all of the things, you're practicing all of the tools, but things still feel really intense? And honestly, this is where Ned de-stress comes in for me. It is part of my daily routine right now. It's a certified organic formula, full spectrum hemp with CBG, CBD, and also ashwagandha. So it really helps to calm down the body and soothe down anxiety. If you need some support right now, fortify your stress response and get 15% off Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK, go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you as always, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering myself and our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Hello, my friends. Hello out there. Um, Just as a heads up, I'm recording with like everybody in the house. I just picked up my daughter from camp and you might hear some clanging and banging in the background. Just going to say it. Uh, Typically, I tried to do this in a quiet space and you know, it's summer, summer, summertime. So we're just doing our best. Uh, So I went viral. I'm flipping my hair as I say that. Can you hear it? Um, One of my reels uh, which is a video on Instagram for those who are not, you know, social media savvy, uh, went viral, meaning that lots of people saw it. Over 8 million, which is just bonkers, Betty, isn't it? Um, so that's like a whole thing. Uh, and I'm just grateful that it happened now and not like two years ago or three years ago or four years ago, where number one, I like... I didn't know how to like pick and choose my battles back then. I just fought them all. And if I had to do that right now um, with, you know, 
8 million sets of eyes on my work, it would have been an exhausting thing. And honestly, that is one of the reasons why so many people are kind of afraid of going viral. It's like all of a sudden you have like the bowels of the internet come like crawling out to tell you their opinion about you. Um, for those of you who do follow me on Instagram, I'm sure you've got a few chuckles out of it because, uh, while I don't clap back at every single person, I do get... I do take some of my shots where I, where they make me chuckle and I do it with humor and levity because what's not better without laughter? Uh, but, you know, a lot of people didn't like that my blender was stained. I blend coffee in my blender every day and uh, there's stains on it. And I don't know, like I'm like way more uh, focused in terms of my time with like trying to change the world and like, you know, help thousands of people with my work. So I don't want to be like scrubbing my blender all day long. So I just, you know, let it ride. And people on the internet, by the way, don't like that. They do not like a dirty blender. Uh, they also don't like my eyebrows. Actually, that was just one person. She commented on my eyebrows. They were too unruly for her liking. Anyway, I'm saying this and I'm laughing about it because of course it's bonkers. You know, it's just like absolute insanity. Uh, but I am because so many uh, practitioners reached out to me and like, about talking about one was like, this is my worst nightmare. Somebody's like, this happened to me and I have PTSD from it. It's, you know, it's, it's a thing. So I'm thinking about, I'm kind of scheming, uh, potentially teaching a class about not just like what to do when you go viral, but just kind of like how to manage your energy and your emotions on social media when you have lots of things coming at you. Um, I, I have this video from Brene Brown saved where she talks about this concept of candle blower outers. She said her and her husband taught this to their children when they were younger. And she says that I'm paraphrasing, but we all have this flame, this internal flame, and you can call it our spirit, our soul, our passion. It's us. It's us. And sometimes that flame shines really bright. And there's a lot of people who uh, don't love that and they try to blow it out. And those are the candle blower outers. And we want to make sure that we surround ourselves with the people that they, they see our light, they see that fire and they're like, hell yeah, I'm going to throw some gasoline up on that bitch. Cause I want to see more of it. Right. Not the people that are like, that's too bright. That's too much. Try to blow it out. Nah. And you know, these are not new concepts that I've talked about on the, the podcast before. I just did an episode relatively recently about making space for you to exist in your life. This is kind of the same jam. And it's why I am, I am absolutely 100% myself here and on social media. And you don't have to participate in this. You don't have to listen to this podcast. People don't have to come to my Instagram and consume my content, right? They don't have to. Nobody's, nobody's keeping them hostage there. So if you don't like me, if you don't like the way I present myself, if you don't like my dirty blender, if you don't like my eyebrows, if, if, if you don't like the way I present things, if you don't like the fact that I swear, if you don't like the fact that I like hip hop, whatever it might be, if you don't like me, you got to take it upon yourself to pick up and move on out. You know, just go away quietly. You have agency over yourself. You're an autonomous person. You can, you can skedaddle. But what I never invite people to do is tell me why they don't like me. I'm not here to change me to keep other people comfortable. That's insane. That is insane. And it has taken me a long time to get to this place. And it has 
a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of inner work, but I'm here and I like myself and I'm happy and I'm not going to apologize for it. So I, I suspect there might be a class coming through. So stay tuned on that. Uh, anyway, the whole purpose of that is because, uh, because I have a lot more eyes on Instagram I suspect that we'll be getting a lot more ears on the podcast and hooray. I'm so excited. I love this show. I love it. I've been doing this for almost five years now. In October, it will be five years of a weekly show. That's intense. Um, But I'm so happy to be here and I'm so stoked to have you here too, dear listener. Uh, So I want to just, in case you're new or to the show or you're just finding me, I want to just give you a little bit of a preview of uh, this podcast. I won't do a deep dive on myself. Uh, Hi, I'm Erin. Last night, I had a dream that I was in Bravo's summer house and Riza was there. And by the end of the night, Riza had proposed to me. And I think that's just like the best intro I could do that, that tells you everything you need to know about me and what's happening in my subconscious, that dream from last night. But the show is, like I said, I've been podcasting for five years. And so you, there's a lot of content here and my journey, uh, has definitely, uh, evolved or changed, you know, like so many of our, that's kind of, I think, isn't that what a journey is? It, you know, (laughs) you change. Um, I really started this show. It was a lot of like basic nutrition, uh, principles, functional nutrition. We talked a lot about diet culture too. And, um, it has like slowly and steadily evolved and the show grows with me. And there are some listeners that have been with me from the very beginning. And it's kind of like, we're all growing together. We're all on this journey together. And so what I would say is that I I suggest that you really meet yourself where you're at on your health journey. There's so much to tuck into. Um, We have, like I said, nutrition. I talk a lot about mindset. Um, Chronic illness is something I had battled in the past. So of course, there's going to be a lot of autoimmunity discussion and uh, ongoing chronic mystery health syndromes. Functional medicine is a big piece. We do talk about some lab testing. What I would recommend if you're like, oh my gosh, there's a lot here. How do I even begin? Some people just like to go all the way back to the beginning and travel along. Uh, but you, we also just built out a brand new website last year that has very awesome searchability. So you can go to my website, thefunctionalnutritionist.com. Functional is spelled with a K, just a heads up, just like the podcast. And if you go to the podcast section, uh, there's a, there's lots of different ways to search. So there's a search bar, but there's also, we have everything broken down into categories. So you can kind of drill into the specific topics you're looking for. If you found me because of my nut milk, uh, <laughs> nut milk reel, my nut milk brings all the boys to the yard. Uh, if you if you found me because of that, then you might just be like, hey, I really want to learn more about nutrition. Cool. Check the functional nutrition tab uh, and that will populate all of the episodes where we just dive into nutrition. Okay. So that is there as a resource for you. Please utilize it and enjoy it. It cost me a lot of money to build that. <laughs> Please use it. Um, okay. Now, I I know that I also have a lot of healthcare practitioners that listen to this show. This episode 
Today, we're going to talk about the difference between functional medicine and conventional medicine in, in terms of how we approach lab testing. Because I want to, if you're new here and you're kind of new to the concept of functional nutrition or functional medicine, I want to kind of wet your whistle and explain like, hey, here's what this is about. Here's what this approach is about. But if you are a, a practitioner coming to the show, I definitely recommend that you listen because this is going to help you, whether you're already a functional provider, this is going to help you kind of explain what you do to people. Um, and if you need help explaining, send them right to this podcast. You know, I love that so many practitioners benefit from this show. I also uh, ask that you share this research uh, resource with your clients as a way to just continue to spread the good word on health. Uh, but if you're a dietitian, if you're a nutrition professional or some other health provider and you're looking for ways to help your clients in a more efficient and effective way, and you're not taking a functional approach, this can help you kind of understand what it's about. And by the way, if you're considering incorporating a functional root cause approach to your nutrition practice, check out the Functional Nutrition Academy. This is our 14-month practitioner training, and we are going to open registration in August for our next cohort in September. So we will link up. You do have to apply in order to be accepted into the academy. Um, so we'll include the application link. You can learn all about it. And um, I'm really excited about that. Okay, so because today we're going to talk, we're not talking about functional lab testing and functional lab testing can definitely be beneficial to your practice as a practitioner, but the benefits only extend as far as your ability to read them, to interpret them and apply them to your practice. And that is like the real misstep that I'm seeing. I won't get, we'll definitely do an episode on this coming up shortly. I'm not going to get too lost in the weeds here, but there's big, big, big problems happening in functional nutrition and functional medicine. And also if you're not a practitioner, it's kind of like buyer beware, not all functional providers provide in the same way. So being a functional provider is a lot more than just offering fancy functional lab testing. We have to actually know what to do with all of that information. And, and unfortunately that's, um, that's where a lot of, um, clinicians are sort of, are sort of lacking. So anyway, let's get into it. Like I said, we're going to talk about what a functional approach to lab testing is. Today, I'm not going to actually cover functional lab testing, but instead how we can use basic blood chemistry, so just basic lab work, to our advantage by looking at it through a functional lens. So we're using the same lab work, but we're just looking at it in a different way. Last week, we featured the Healing Arts Collective, or last episode, the Healing Arts Collective, and we discussed how healthcare can be so cost prohibitive, like alternative modalities can, can be cost prohibitive, and functional medicine can absolutely price people out. Now, in our clinic, we do try to keep costs competitive, but we also provide a standard of care that is pretty unparalleled. So to deliver that type of care takes time and that time does need to be compensated for. It's very important to me that my clinicians and my providers and the folks that are working on my team get paid fairly. And, uh, that that's a kind of a dirty little secret in the wellness space. Um, the more I spend time here, I've been doing this work for in the wellness world for 12 plus years, the more I find out these dirty little secrets and the more, um, 
disheartened, I guess I feel. Uh, a lot of people are making a lot of money because they are sourcing really inexpensive labor. And that to me just feels kind of crummy. So anyway, that's probably a topic for another show. Um, anywho, one thing that we do, we, we don't upcharge labs and I'm not knocking you if you do that, but, uh, we pass our lab fees on to you but functional labs, they're not inexpensive tests. You know, you could spend $200, $300, $400, $500 on some of these labs. And if you're running multiple labs, those add up pretty quickly. So that's that's kind of what I mean. I think practitioners who put in a lot of time deserve to be compensated. And also functional medicine, when we're leveraging these functional labs, can like the price can start to stack up pretty pretty darn quick. So that's what I mean by saying it can price people out. Um, and just as an aside, that's why I'm like, number one, I offer things at different price points. You can, you can get eat to achieve. We have free guides. You can get eat to achieve for under a hundred bucks. Like I, I am committed to that. And I'm also committed to bringing free to consumer education to you via this podcast. I've been doing it for five years. Let's give it another five. What do you say? Okay. So before we get into lab specifics, it's important to understand how the functional medicine interpretation of lab testing differs from the diagnostic testing done in conventional medicine. So conventional medicine, that model is very good at saying you have this, but rarely asks the question, why do you have it? And so functional medicine kind of swoops in and attempts to answer that question. Okay, you've got this thing, you've got this imbalance, why? And a key concept to understanding the difference between the two approaches is that the conventional approach is geared towards identifying pathology and disease. So when running labs, those reference ranges, so if you've ever gotten lab work done, you know, you you can see that the reference ranges uh, like on the side, it's a pretty pretty big range, but what they're looking for is late stage disease development. And at this point, in terms of treatment, the best we can really hope for is symptom management. And that really is kind of modern day healthcare in a nutshell. It's disease management versus preventative care. And I, this is not, I'm not saying anything super controversial or shocking to anybody. Uh, I always like to preface this conversation by saying, I am not knocking conventional medicine. I am not knocking doctors and specialists and nurses. Like everybody's out there fighting the good fight. I tend to work with people that have been chewed up and spit out by the conventional model myself. I have, you know, the medical gaslighting, it's all real, but at the end of the day, I mean, you don't get into healthcare unless you want to help people. And there is just a lot of tomfoolery that goes on with insurance and the business side of medicine and doctors are swept up in that. People in conventional medicine are swept up in that. And, and so this is never a dig. And I always like kind of jokingly say, like, if I break my arm, I'm not going to acupuncture, right? I'm not going to my naturopath. I'm going to straight to the ER, straight to the good old ER. Like conventional medicine is wonderful. It saves lives. And also in terms of chronic stuff, in terms of preventative care, that's where it kind of misses the mark. And that's where the functional approach can swoop on in. So when we're looking at health through a conventional lens, for the most part, you either have a disease or you do not have a disease. If you do not have a disease, you're considered healthy. Whereas the functional approach, 
in comparison, recognizes that illness doesn't just like pop out of thin air. There is a spectrum of health and the labs and the reference ranges are trying to assess for early prediction. And so I, I say that, and I want you to hear that again, especially if you have any hypervigilance or health anxiety, what I call it, if you're anxious about your health, illness doesn't just pop out of thin air. We've kind of been taught to fear our bodies and to fear the things that our body does, but the body doesn't just like turn on a dime, right? This is a steady progression. You, it doesn't just like happen one day you're healthy and the next day you're not. It, that's not how it happens. Disease, dis-ease kind of builds collectively over time. And so what we want to do with a functional approach is to identify any imbalance of normal physiology. So that way we have the opportunity to address those underlying dysfunctions, to address those root causes, ideally before it gets all the way to a pathological, diagnosable disease state. So this functional approach gives us the opportunity when we're screening for things, right? And we're not waiting to act on things before we get sick. When we're screening for things before that, we have the opportunity to restore balance and to prevent or even reverse the disease state. And by the way, it is my belief, and this belief is based on my own lived experience, on the experience of working with thousands of people over the years, and based on the research, that our bodies can absolutely heal themselves. We have to give them the appropriate inputs, and I've talked about those inputs countless times on the show, but the body can heal itself. So when I say reverse the disease state, this is not like a radical thing. Uh, this is, this can happen. And I always say that because messages of hope are one of the most, for me, one of the most impactful things we can do to heal our bodies is to believe that we can, that that option is actually on the table for us. So even if you're here listening to the show, cause you've got some, some stuff going on in your body, good, great, grand, and your body can heal itself. Okay, let's take a quick break to thank our show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic, four times the concentration of the original formula, which is why I prefer it. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I just had somebody on Instagram reach out and say, this stuff has changed me. Thank you. So it's a great product. And the cool thing about it is that there's no need to refrigerate it. So you can take it with you when you're traveling, which I highly recommend because most of our guts get really jacked up when we're off our schedule, when we're traveling, when we're doing things that we don't normally do. So taking a probiotic with you is a good bet. You can give it to your kiddos. Those, uh, the capsules can break apart. You can sprinkle it into yogurt or oatmeal or add it to a drink. This is what I do for Hattie. I put in a little shot glass with a bit of water and she just shoots it down. So head to their website using the link in our show notes. Use code FUNK15 to save 15% off of your order. We also want to thank our other show sponsor, Organifi. If you're interested in hormonal health, 
I suggest you check out their Harmony Blend. It was specifically designed for PMS support to help balance out female hormones and to give you a little energy boost with the adaptogenic herbs that they use like Shatavari and maca. So it's a cacao and maca blend. I happen to love those two flavors together. So tasty. Uh, We also have ginger and turmeric added to the mix. So it's kind of like a spicy treat. Chase tree berries also featured, which is an herb that has been long shown to support female hormones. So I highly recommend that product. It's really tasty. You could also look into their gold powder, one of their best sellers. That's a turmeric ginger blend. Both are anti-inflammatory. And listen, menstruation, having a period is a naturally inflammatory process. And so if you're experiencing wonkiness during those times of the month, uh, it's not terribly uncommon, especially if you have underlying inflammatory stuff going on. It kind of just throws a little bit of gasoline on the fire. So doing anti-inflammatories during your period is a smart bet. Turmeric and ginger are two things that I highly recommend. Uh, This product, Gold, also has lemon balm and magnesium. Both of those are calming and soothing and can really, I mean, I drink it all the time, not just when I'm on my period, but it's a really good tool if you do have PMS symptoms. Both of these blends, the Harmony and the Gold, are great for post-meal sweet treats. You mix a little bit with either hot water. I personally like it with non-dairy milk. And uh, if you're somebody who has a sweet tooth, check them out. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk or use code funk to save you 20% on any of your orders. So conventional lab reference ranges are based on a bell curve. Remember back to, was that math or science? What did we learn bell curves in? Probably math, stats, I don't know. Um, So the bell curve where 95% of people who are tested fall into a clinically normal reference range. So there's two big problems with this logic. One is if the average population in modern day is not the picture of health, and we know that is the case, then are we basing our healthy ranges on a sick population? The other issue is this is why we see so many people being told by their conventional health providers that their health is normal, despite the fact that they have ongoing symptoms. So how many times have you gone into the doctors being like, can you test this? Can you test this? Can you test this? And they're like, labs look great. And you're like, but I don't feel great. I feel real less than great. I feel subpar what the hell is going on. Just because someone does not have an identical diagnosable disease does not mean that they are the picture of health. It doesn't mean that they're healthy. So you can think about the functional lab reference ranges as optimal ranges. We're looking for a tighter, smaller range, and anything outside of this tight range is considered suboptimal. It gives us clues that something within the physiology of this person is out of balance even if they are not at a diagnosable disease state. So I want to give you a real world example using blood sugar markers. And if you know me, if you've been around the block for a minute, you know that blood sugar regulation is a big jump off for me. 
That's why I created the Carb Compatibility Project. It's a four-week nutrition program specifically designed to regulate your blood sugar. We look at, in my hormone program, my three-month hormone program called Your Hormone Revival, we are looking at uh, blood sugar markers in relation to your hormones. Um, By the way, you can grab my free metabolism training series if you go to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash metabolism. It's a three-part video series where you can learn all about blood sugar regulation, highs, lows, in between. Um, But type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, and metabolic syndrome is a very complex web, and it creates vicious cycles in the body. And the more time that goes on, the more challenging it is to reverse. You get to the point that like really the only way to manage it is through medication. You can get to the point where like it's too late for diet and lifestyle on on their own. And so what we can do is use functional ranges for basic blood work to stop this cycle in its tracks. I do it every single week in our practice. We are screening for blood work, uh, uh, blood sugar markers, and we're screening based off of blood work, but also based off of symptoms. And we are interrupting this process as aggressively as we can because it's such a big deal. But if we're using conventional reference ranges, we're waiting until there's a diagnosable disease state, right? It's like pre-diabetes, now you have the diabetes. And at that point, it's just a much bigger problem to manage. So this is an example of where we can take a functional approach to lab testing without actually ordering functional labs. We can use this basic blood chemistry that any any of your providers can order, we can use it to our advantage uh, by looking at it through a functional lens. So fasting serum glucose, so that's blood sugar, Fasting serum glucose is part of a comprehensive metabolic panel. So this one is done regularly. They don't always tell you to go fasted. I like to see this one fasted because it just gives us a little bit more information. But this can really start to paint a picture and give us some insight into our blood sugar levels. So the lab reference range is between 65 and 99. That's a big range. That's a real big range. Whereas when we're looking at it through a functional or optimal range, we're really trying to see somewhere between 65 maybe 70 up to uh, 85-ish. This one's a little bit more of a moving target for me um, based on other other lab markers. I'm never just looking at these lab markers alone. And I really, really, if you're a provider, I really caution you uh, against doing that. And if you're not a provider, just make sure that your uh, provider is looking at this number in context with other things. I personally like to see fasting glucose, hemoglobin A1C, and fasting insulin together. When it comes to labs, a functional approach is also pattern assessment, being able to step back, look at lab markers together within the overall context of the client, their story, and their symptoms. It becomes a problem. This is true for both conventional medicine, but also functional medicine. It becomes a problem when we fall into literal translations of lab markers. And if we get overly myopic of lab values instead of pattern assessing, assessing the overall patterns within the context of the person. And what I, what I always say, so I train clinicians, I mentor them in the Functional Nutrition Academy. What I always say always, I'm like a broken record. We should not be treating 
the lab, we must treat the person behind the lab. And that's exactly what I mean when I say a functional approach is more than just running functional labs. Cool. Cool. You can run a $400 stool test. Neat. What can you do with that information? And can you take that information within the context of what the person is experiencing. That, that's what we really, really need to be doing to kind of get to a root cause approach. We have to be saying, here's the information, here's how it applies to you and what you're going through, and we have to figure out why. Why is this happening? Anyway, that's a soapbox, little soapbox moment. So back to fasting glucose. Fasting glucose is telling us about the blood sugar level at the time of the blood draw. So that's, again, that's why it's, it's just like a moment in time. It's one moment in time. So it's also nice to see that paired with hemoglobin A1C, which is a very common lab marker. It would look like HB, capital A, one, capital C on a lab report. Um, that shows pretty much roughly the average of blood glucose over the course of two to three months. And the way that conventional medicine breaks this down, it's pre-diabetes, diabetes, and glycemic control for adults with diabetes. So pre-diabetes is 5.7 to 6.4. So basically, once you hit 5.7, hemoglobin A1C of 5.7, you're in the pre-diabetic category. And I've heard it said before, I don't know who I can credit this to, but there's no pre-anything. Like once you're there, it's a problem. If somebody's not being aggressive about bringing those blood sugar levels down, then that that is like, like that's not good. Like you are smooth sailing your way to a diabetic. And when I'm talking about diabetes, I'm talking about type two diabetes. Type one diabetes is an autoimmune condition. That's a horse of a different color. Um, the 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 treatment and the approach is is very it, it's different because it's a different. Um, it's an autoimmune thing. Um, I'm not going to get into that. So when I'm talking about diabetes, I'm talking about type two, just a heads up. Um, so diabetes is hemoglobin A1C over 6.4. Okay. With a functional or optimal range, we want to see that A1C at 5.4 or lower. So if somebody's creeping up 5.5, 5.6, your conventional doc might be like, blood sugar looks great. And then the next time you go, blood sugar's at 5.7. Congratulations, you have prediabetes. With a conventional approach, many people with an A1C of 6.4 or under are being told that their labs are normal. So you can be in the pre-diabetic range and you can be told, yep, labs look great, labs are normal. The process continues the next time you get uh, blood work done, the labs are higher, this like so on and so forth until you get diagnosed. There is no real intervention until you cross the lab reference range threshold. And with a functional approach, if we see those numbers creeping up toward high, we recognize that this is the time to intervene to make impactful change, okay? So this is such a big deal for me. Like this one, this one really gets me because it's such an easy thing to look at on labs and it's just being, it, we're just not, there's not an aggressive enough intervention early on, in my opinion. Back in 2018, there was a paper published called The Global Ep Epidemic of the Metabolic Syndrome that referred to metabolic syndrome as the new 
major health hazard of the modern world. Metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance affect the endocrine system, that's your hormone system, the immune system. It's a risk factor for chronic diseases of the liver, the heart, and the brain. The cost of healthcare for metabolic syndrome uh, is astronomical. In 2016, it reached $555 billion, and by 2035, it's expected to exceed $1 trillion. Using functional reference ranges allows us to intervene on this metabolic process early so we can save healthcare costs and we can also save lives. Lives. I consider A1C, fasting glucose, and fasting insulin to be foundational labs. Um, I I didn't talk about lab reference ranges for fasting insulin, but the lab reference range, the conventional one, is 2.6 to 24.9. That is a huge, super wide range. Um, The functional optimal range, I mean, there's some like wiggle room here and there's some, you know, some people like to see different numbers. I would say somewhere between three to eight-ish. So it's much lower. Like if somebody came and was like 10, 12, 15, 16, they would be flagged as normal, uh, conventionally, I would say, whoa, we got, we got some, we got something to do here. Uh, just so that's, that's that. But these are, these can be all foundational labs. They should be because blood sugar dysregulation puts the brakes on all other health goals, hormone balance, energy, inflammation, thyroid, adrenals, weight loss, brain health, cognition, immune function, autoimmunity. You want, you, (laughs) if we want good health, we have to have good blood sugar control. And so if those labs are in suboptimal range, number one, that's information you should have. Number two, it's mission critical to balance those blood sugars. Um, it's a big deal. Okay. So let's talk about another quickie example of viewing basic labs through a functional lens. And we can use vitamin D. A lot of people are getting their vitamin D tested because, you know, just vitamin D is so critical to so many bodily functions. Um, A functional approach would consider optimal ranges to be higher than the standard conventional or sufficient cutoff. I, the exact optimal range is, is kind of highly debated, but I find that most functional providers, myself included, we all kind of agree that we want to see 25 OHD. That's vitamin. That's the way that they primarily test vitamin D uh, levels in your blood at at least 45. And when we look at conventional lab reference ranges, clinically deficient is less than 20. Sufficient is 30. Uh, but optimal what we want to see as optimal is 45 plus. And it's not a situation where the more the better because we can start to hit like potentially harmful. Um, it can get potentially harmful if it starts creeping up like 90, 100 and beyond. So just a heads up there. Um, so now if, if and by the way, if you want to kind of drill into vitamin D and learn more about vitamin D and testing and all of that, episode 172, vitamin D for viral infections and immune health, episode 105, all about vitamin D. And you can check those out for like more information. But essentially, if somebody's low in vitamin D, we want to just make sure that we're looking at the obvious reasons. Uh, there's this saying in healthcare that when you hear hoofbeats, think, uh, think horses, not zebras. Like you want to rule out the obvious stuff. Functional medicine providers 
love ourselves a zebra, love ourselves a good zebra, but you can't just immediately jump to the zebras without first saying like, Hey, are there any horses here? No horses. Okay. Now we can start thinking about some like of the, like the higher level stuff or like the more, um, the less common stuff, not higher level, the less common stuff. So obvious reasons are lack of sufficient sun exposure. We spend the majority of our time inside and many of us are afraid of the sun. So that could do it, right? Or, and or diet lacking in vitamin D rich foods. So this is an opportunity. If you see somebody being low in vitamin D, okay, we can talk, you know, we can talk about sun exposure, healthy, safe sun exposure. We can talk about getting more vitamin D rich foods into your system, if they're already doing that, right? And they're supplementing with vitamin D, we have to be like, oh gosh, well, what the hell's going on, right? So somebody might be chronically low despite supplementation. This gives the opportunity to do a deeper root cause dive into why. And that is what the functional approach is doing. It's it's trying to understand the whys. It's not just saying you're low here, take this. It's saying, huh, I wonder why they're low. And a true functional approach isn't just about spot treating labs. It is attempting to understand why lab markers are imbalanced to begin with. So some potential reasons for low vitamin D is you're supplementing with it, but you're just not taking a high enough dose. So maybe you're taking like a thousand IUs a day. You might need more. Um, you might not be taking the appropriate kind of vitamin D. So that's something that I discuss in those other episodes. Um, there might be gut inflammations or infections or dysbiosis, something going on in the gut that's keeping you from, um, from, uh, absorbing and utilizing vitamin D. Magnesium deficiency is a big one. Magnesium is a very necessary cofactor to absorb vitamin D and utilize vitamin D in the body. Gallbladder removal, huge. If you have poor fat digestion or poor absorption, uh, vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. So um, that could do it. That could definitely do it. And then poor liver conversion. So again, those are all unpacked in those other episodes that I mentioned. You might also want to check out if you do have your gallbladder removed, you might want to check out episode 207, gallbladder bile, gut health, and hormones. What you didn't know. Um, But basically the whole point here is by leveraging basic routine labs that can be performed by a primary care doctor and just looking at them differently, looking at them through a functional lens, we can catch health imbalances before they get to the point of a disease state. It it also gives us the opportunity to unpack the whys so we can take a more root cause approach with our health. So I did get a recent question about hormone testing. Um, Somebody submitted this through the Q&A in the CARB Compatibility Project. And we're asking like, what's, what lab tests should I get for hormones? What test should I ask my doctor for? And just for the sake of time, I'm not going to do a huge deep dive on hormone lab testing, although I have a tremendous amount of podcasts, um, on those. Again, you can, if you want to learn more about that, you can go, you can click on either lab testing or the hormones tab, and that will populate all the episodes where I've discussed those. But Hormone testing is one of the places where I actually like a combination. I like a combination of standard lab work and also functional lab 
testing. And when, so when we do the standard lab work, so this is what we do in my program, Your Hormone Revival. By the way, the next round kicks off in September. We'll be opening registration in September. This this class always sells out. So get yourself on the wait list. We open up wait list, uh, open up enrollment to the wait list first. And we also give a discount to the wait list. So there's no obligation to join the wait list. Just get your, get your took us there because uh, we are, going to send you an email with a deep discount. And that is the only place to access the, uh, the discount. So go to the functional nutritionist.com forward slash Y H R. But the way that we like to look at hormones in that program, it's a combination. So we're doing, we're looking at lab work for things that can impact hormone health. Um, so we're looking for blood sugar markers, inflammation and uh, inflammatory markers. Uh, we're screening for autoimmunity. We're looking at iron and iron levels. That's really important for obviously overall energy, but also for thyroid function. Um, we're looking at thyroid markers, but we're looking at them a lot more in depth. So if you went to your conventional doc and you're like, Hey doc, can you check my thyroid? Chances are they're going to run TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. You might also get a T4, but that's where it kind of nets out. And unfortunately, those two markers don't really tell us a whole lot about thyroid physiology. TSH um, is produced in the brain, and then that tells the thyroid gland to pump out thyroid hormone T4. And then we have to take T4 and we have to convert it over into T3, which is really the active thyroid hormone. So we want to, we want to screen for like all the different steps that are going on. And because, um, because hypothyroidism, thyroidism is so common. And because one of the main drivers of true hypothyroidism is autoimmunity. We also want to be checking for thyroid antibodies. Um, I discussed this way back in the day, 2019, episode 49, why you need to test your thyroid and how to do it. By the way, we kind of break all of that down if you want to learn more, but we, we do all of those labs in your hormone revival. And then again, we're looking, even some of the basic lab work, we're looking at it through a functional lens. So we want to catch you. We want to screen for optimal health. We don't want to wait till something gets gets so bad that you need thyroid hormone replacement, although there's nothing wrong with that if you do have to use utilize that, but we want to catch it before. We want to we want to screen for signs of imbalance before, you know, you start getting like glandular destruction. But we also bring in functional lab testing through urine and saliva. So I like to look for uh, hormones through all three blood, urine and saliva. Um, serum testing. So serum testing is blood testing. It, um, one of the, one of the limitations of testing hormones through serum, some, some hormones you have to look at through blood, some hormones you absolutely have to. So thyroid hormones, for example, uh, sex hormone binding globulin, um, uh, FSH, LH, uh, like there, I mean, I'm not going to give a laundry list, but there's, there's a lot that you do actually have to screen for blood through blood, <laughs> draw blood, draw blood. Um, but <laughs> name that song, name it, uh, a big limitation of only looking at hormones through blood is that it's kind of giving us a snapshot. Um, so somebody asked about cortisol, for example, like getting cortisol tested through blood. You can, it doesn't really give us the full picture. The way that cortisol 
which is one of our stress hormones, right? The way that cortisol works is that when we open our eyes first thing in the morning, light goes into our eyes and it triggers something called the cortisol awakening response. So we should get this big spike of cortisol in the morning and it slowly and steadily tapers off throughout the course of the day. So if you're getting blood tested, you know, what point of the day are you testing it? And like, where should that cortisol be? Um, we don't really know, like it doesn't, we don't have enough context. Whereas when you're looking at cortisol through saliva, you're actually testing your saliva throughout the entire course of the day. So you can plot it out on a graph. You can see if it spikes when it's supposed to spike and if it tapers off when it's supposed to taper off, you can, um, when we, when we look at hormones through your urine, uh, we also see metabolites. And so that tells us like how your hormones are breaking down. This is really important when it comes to androgens, especially if you're somebody who tends toward uh, a PCOS picture or uh, male pattern baldness or um, facial hair growth or acne. We can see like, hey, is the metabolism of your hormones impacting this? Um, same deal for estrogen. We can see how your clearing estrogen out of the body. And we just can't, we can't get that, that information through blood. So it's not like which one's better than the other. It's just like, how can we use them all together to get the most information for you? And again, that is another, um, way we can utilize the functional approach when it comes to our health and our thyroid health is, is again, stepping back and looking at the big picture with all of the data in combination with your symptoms and how you're feeling. So I think that's all I want to say about that today. And I just want to shout out one more time to the clinicians. All of this stuff that I'm talking about is really the core pillar of the Functional Nutrition Academy, our our practitioner training. It's teaching you not just how to get a better understanding of reading labs, but also how to peel back the layers behind the lab markers and discover the unique triggers of the individual sitting in front of you. Um, We want to be able to consider all of the components, the lab markers, the symptoms, and beyond, so you can meet your clients and your patients more completely. This is really how we take a true root cause approach. And if you're not a practitioner and you're listening and you're looking to find a practitioner, I really recommend that you look for somebody who has the the skill set and dare I say the tenacity to to do this. All right, everyone, to all my new friends, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the club. It's not really a club, but I I get very awkward when I uh, end these things because I never know how to say goodbye. So goodbye. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.